You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is designed by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every week to bring you resources that don't just speak to your rural context, but are spoken by people who get it, people who have been there, who have lived these same contexts, and who work with rural people every day. And so we hope that if you're tuning in, that you find some encouragement out of this. We want you to feel empowered and equipped to do what is a valuable work of God in a small, out-of-the-way place. And so we're so happy you're joining us today. I am your host, Joe Epley. We are in the middle of a series right now talking about rural mindsets titled The Good, the Bad, and the Godly. In this series, we've been taking a look at some of the cool attributes that tend to stand out in rural churches and what makes them uh, super cool and, and just, you know, shows up naturally in rural congregations. We've also been looking in what I call a loving critique and saying, hey, what, you know, what is it about rural churches sometimes that might hinder us from from reaching people for the gospel? And then finally, we've been asking each leader that's jumped on for a little bit of their nugget of godly wisdom. And so today we are also joined on this podcast by Jared Strong. He is a wonderful friend of mine and also a wonderful minister, and he has had quite a diverse and frankly, in my opinion, just a super cool experience helping the rural church and being part of the rural church. And so, Jared, how you doing, man? Joe, great to be here. Doing great. It's an honor to be on the podcast with you and hang out and talk all things rural, man. Awesome. Awesome. So glad to hear it. Well, as we often do on this show, we want our audiences to feel like they can connect with those who are uh, you know, brought on as guests. And so, Jared, would you mind taking a few minutes here and telling us a little bit of your story? You know, what is your experience and your connection with the rural church? And why does the rural church have so much value to you? Well, I grew up in Western South Dakota. Uh, and South Dakota, there's definitely more cattle than there are people. So I uh, grew up playing nine-man football, you know, traveling small town to small town, you know, having rivalries and all those different things. Uh, later in my high school career, I meet Jesus. And the uh, only thing I knew is I was supposed to be a pastor. Had no idea what that meant at the time, but began the journey towards becoming a pastor. Got it. Then later called me back to my hometown in South Dakota, where I pastored later on pastored the church that I was actually saved in. And then from there, we revitalized the church and planted more campuses. So through that experience and through my growing up and uh, spending time on my grandpa's ranch to uh, playing football in small towns, uh, man, just I have an affinity, a love for what God is doing in rural places. Yeah. And uh, tell me more about how that progressed, because last time we actually did and you can check this out on our Rural Advancement website, but we did an interview with you uh, talking about church planting, but your church in Rapid City, South Dakota, went on to plant several rural congregations in even smaller towns surrounding Rapid City. And then from there, though, your journey hasn't really stopped with rural. And so maybe fill us in on a little bit of that. Yeah. So we ended up uh, through a series of events, we revitalized our church. We ended up having this crazy vision of planting seven campuses and by God's grace, we did it in a short period of time. And then after that experience, God did some cool things. And I was connected to my friend, Brian Jarrett in Dallas, Texas, uh, his church and his affinity for rural. Um, he has a, a cohort called Water Tower. We made a connection originally through that as I was a pastor connecting into Water Tower. He later asked me to come and join their executive team, uh, help lead rural 
in the sense of water tower, and then also help with the strategy of church planning and multi-site at North Place Church. So we did that for several years. And then I was asked to be kind of a leader for the church multiplication network in focusing on rural church planting and rural multiplication. So I did that for a season while I was in Dallas and then uh, God opened the door for me to be a full-time director at the church multiplication network. And one of my responsibilities today is focusing in on rural health, revitalization, uh, pushing to grow, pushing to plant and multiply. Wow. And you know what? What a cool journey that looks like. Again, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, Jared is one of my friends and and I love hearing his journey because his heartbeat, it's almost as if God's just filling out all different sides of how to look at rural. You know, you you come from it, you pastor there, you start looking at rural churches through a different lens of how you equip them to, to grow and to plant. And then now um, from your vantage point, you get to be the champion for rural and for seeing healthy churches pop up in rural places. And so, man, what a cool set of experiences that I think lends itself really well to this podcast and to, you know, our audience, which is encouraging those serving God in small places. And so on that note, it's time to pick your brain a little bit on, you know, some of the things you learned on your journey and through your various experiences. Um, and, and obviously, as I mentioned at the beginning, we're calling this series, you know, the good, the bad and the godly for, for rural mindsets, because I've heard it described this way, that rural is not just a place you live. It's a way that you see the world. It affects everything about your perception. And rural churches tend to be known for good things. They're known for bad things. And again, from your vantage point, you've collected a lot of wisdom. So let's start, uh, you know, on this end of the compliment sandwich for rural churches. Let's start with a good mindset that you've seen predominantly emerge in rural churches. What attribute, what is it about a rural church that you think is so cool that pastors should and could capitalize on? Well, there's several things. One obvious that to me always stands at the top is relationship. Um, being pastoring in a smaller and then in larger communities and contexts, one of the things that rule has going for itself that that is hard to reproduce, especially in larger contexts or metropolitan areas, is the quality of relationship. I think relationship is significant um, for rural pastors. You have relationship not only with your congregation, but also with the whole community. That is hard to come by. And to be able to not only pastor a congregation, but pastor the entire town, man, there, there is gold there to be mined. So relationships just at the top of the list for me. Um, one of the other things that I love about rural context, it is pull yourself up by your bootstraps and figure out how to make it work with no matter what your resources are at hand. That needs to be learned by even more pastors, in my opinion. And so the rural ability to be creative in that, man, that's something to champion as well. Yeah. And uh, the cool thing is, again, from what I know about you, this is not just an armchair theology for you. Um, can you explain a little bit while you were pastoring in Rapid City at that church and you, you, know, you were able to plant campuses, but you kind of had a side hustle a little bit, a bit of a community-based side hustle, if you will. And I would like you to describe your time, uh, I believe, spent working for the Rapid City Sheriff's Department in some capacity. Am I right there? Yeah, I was a sheriff's deputy in the county, for sure. Yeah, what kind of fruit, I guess, did you see come from that that affected the work of God you were doing in Rapid City? One of the things that I love about the real context is, I mean, I know a lot of pastors' goals are I want to grow my church so that I can be full-time. There is also, I would I would push back a little bit and say there's a beauty to being bivocational uh, because of the relationship aspect. And so for me, although I didn't have to financially uh, have a side hustle, I chose to be a sheriff's deputy in our county. 
So I was the head chaplain and a sheriff's deputy. So I could arrest you. I could pray for you. It was a great combination. Uh, so uh, through the years, I did that for eight years while I lead pastored. And the doors that got opened through that were significant. I had the privilege to lead 14 deputies to the Lord in that time frame, And they all eventually, them and their families attended our church. And um, it was incredible to be able to disciple and shepherd and uh, come alongside those men and women that served, that were first responders in our community. Additionally, I had a front row seat to the rough side of life uh, for a lot of people. It kept me humble. It kept me connected and tethered to the real needs of the community. And it helped me see people that uh, most of the time when you're encountering somebody from a law enforcement standpoint, they're good people that just had a bad day. And that's a healthy perspective, I think, as a pastor. And it kept me grounded in that. So that side hustle became one of my favorite things to do in serving in my community. And from that, I was able to encourage our other campus pastors to do the same and be engaged in the community beyond just a full-time pastoring job. And what, uh, out of those campus pastors, were there any other, and maybe even in your church in Rapid City, because what we tend to see is that when when the pastor reaches out and says, I want to do more than just exist at the church, uh, that becomes contagious. What were some of the other ways that your congregation members or your campus pastors were able to make those little connections with the community? Yeah. Uh, one of our campus pastors, uh, Dusty Hess, uh, he pastored and launched a campus in Sturgis, South Dakota. Um, and he is a football coach. So he was uh, coaching at the local school and pastoring at the same time. So he's has access to a public school where he can be a mentor, be a coach, um, but, you know, just be the presence of Jesus in a, in a quality way. So that's one example. Um, we have, uh, we had another campus pastor whose spouse was also a sheriff's deputy in the small town. So there was a great connection there. Uh, and through those different elements, we've seen God do some cool things. Another campus pastor uh, was also one of the managers for Stanley Steamer. So uh, he's traveling around uh, leading teams, cleaning carpets and, uh, and at night telling people about Jesus. Yeah. And I love, I love what you said. Cause one of the words, uh, just to even pick up on your own words, one of the things I understand is that this is something that is accessible. Like any rural pastor could take some small step almost based on your skill set. Cause honestly, if you said, Hey Joe, do you want to be a football coach in a small town? I'd be like, no, I never played football. Why in the world would I ever coach football? It sounds terrible. Right. But you know, I'm a musician. Maybe I teach music lessons to somebody, or maybe you have a, maybe you can go and, and read to kids at the library. Maybe you can, you know, and, and there's all these small ways to connect to the communities. And I think it's just ripe. I mean, it's just so ready for that kind of conversation. And it really pairs well with the statement you made about creativity, you know, about what do you have in your hands? Not what do you not have, but what's right. there and what could God use to connect? And, and I think that's something that's been echoed on this podcast a lot, which is super fun. I also like that you said uh, that you you were a sheriff's deputy over eight years, because I imagine that the fruit of what you saw through doing that ministry, I, I'm sure it didn't all take place in year one or even year two. You know no. what? I mean, I'm sure it was it was spread throughout that whole eight year period, you know? Yeah. And longevity, I think, is is key. I mean, tell me what you think about that. Yeah. Longevity is obviously key. I mean, trust takes a long time to establish um, and trust, especially in law enforcement community. Yeah, it feels like it takes eternity. One of my experiences or multiple experiences with our rural campuses is it took time to build trust. We had to show that we were serving the community with no strings attached. And that takes time. But then once you earn that trust, 
man, it's, it's gold to be used. It's an investment that you've made that you can cash in on from time to time. And uh, you can see incredible kingdom fruit from that, I believe. Absolutely. Well, cool. Yeah. I love that snapshot into what you got to do in that role. Um, I definitely want to, so now we're going to get to the middle of this compliment sandwich, because uh, if you're not familiar with that phrase, sometimes it's helpful to look at something good, look at something a little more negative and look at something good again, you know? And so that's what we're going to do with this podcast. Um, because no matter what, like if, if you asked myself, if you asked Jared, who's on our podcast today, like, do you love rural church? We would say, well, yes, of course. Like that's, that's who we are. But that love is not blind to like our own flaws. And oftentimes we have to look inward and all of us as rural leaders and pastors have to look inward and say, are there things present in the rural church and us as ministers that can sometimes actually hinder the, you know, the gospel because all of us have to grow. I mean, I have to grow, you have to grow. It's, it's, it's growth. You know, that's what we do. And so let's take a second and very lovingly, very carefully, but let's, let's be a little critical in a good way. Let's, let's really look at ourselves and say, Hey, what's a mindset or an attribute of the rural church, Jared, that you've seen that you think, man, we, we might need to grow through this or grow past this. Why don't you share a little bit on that? Uh, two things come to mind, Joe. The first would be, I think that one of the struggles that's easy rut to fall into is a scarcity mentality in the sense that we have one part of us that's great at picking up ourselves by the bootstraps, getting creative and doing something. I think it's easy to fall into a scarcity mentality. Well, we just don't have that much, or we can't do that, or we don't have the leaders for that, or we don't, we don't have the quality of that, you know, and we compare ourselves, which gets dangerous and we compare ourselves to whether it's a bigger church or it's another community or what have you. That scarcity mindset, I don't believe, is a way that God wants us to operate, um, but it's an easy trap to fall into. An example of this that leads into my second point or concern is I think when I talk to rural pastors, uh, they're not thinking about leadership development in their church. And I wonder if some of it's connected to a scarcity mindset, because we're just hoping that the next Bible college will bring us another leader that we need. And the reality is, is I'll steal a phrase from Tommy Barnett the miracles in the house. Mm. God's already put people in your church that you don't have to have a scarcity mindset with. You can say, there is somebody in my congregation right now that God has anointed and is waiting for us to call them out and disciple them and prepare them to be a minister for the next generation. And I think that if we can push past that scarcity mindset, not just in what we have in our bank account or the resources at our hands, but also the people and realize the next Billy Graham could be sitting in our church or, or the next pastor that we're supposed to set up a succession plan to give to is sitting there. They're just waiting for us to raise them up. I, I think one of the things when we look at rule, it's hard for people on the outside to come into a rule context because mm-hmm. rule is tribal. Rule is very much our identities in place. Well, you didn't come from this place, so you're not a part of my identity. I've definitely even experienced that before with, uh, uh, you know, I came from Billings, largest town in Montana to Baker. And it even, it just took so much time. And like, even still nine years later, um, it's not that I feel like an outsider, but I'm also keenly aware that I I wasn't born here. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a difference, no matter what, like no matter how well I've been received or the good work I've done, there's this sense that just kind of exists and that's okay. It's not a, a shot at anybody. It just maybe speaks to, like you said, the natural rhythms of how the rural church works, how rural communities work. And a lot of it's good. You know, a lot of these rural places have been burned by people who walk in and walk out. And so they are protective in a good way. They're like, we have value, but we're waiting for someone else to see it. You know, we're waiting for, we're making sure that you're going to see that and value that. And so, um, so I think it speaks a lot, you know, to what you're saying for sure. Yeah. And I, I, and don't get me wrong. I, I love that 
that a, that a rural community is protective of its people. Sure. But I often had to have conversations, especially when we started planning campuses in smaller communities around us. I often led with, I play football in this town. I've, I've been here as a kid. I'm a hometown kid, so to speak. I used a lot of those, those historical connections for myself to make inroads into the community. But one of the things that I think is beautiful is when we start looking at our own congregants that God's entrusted us with and asking ourselves, how do we live not with a scarcity mentality, but a a mentality of faith that says there's someone here that God is calling forth Mm -hmm. to be the next pastor. And and I think if we can operate and live in that mindset, we're going to see a healthier rural church in the future. Let me give you an example. Painfully, we had to deal with a a, a disciplinary issue with one of our campus pastors. We We had to let him go. So we pastored that that congregation and that campus for several months um, from our main location. We would, myself and other staff would rotate, just preaching, serving, doing what we could. But something as we cast vision about, you know, God's calling you, God's anointed you, God's using you. You've been called for such a time as this. A couple in the church sat down with me one Sunday after preaching and they said, pastor, could we put our name in to be considered for the next campus pastor? And I was, I was so excited about them asking the question. So we walked through the process with them. They ended up becoming the next campus pastors of that, of that campus. And by the way, they were also the principals of the high school. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. You can't like, get more credibility than that. Honestly. And like, again, sometimes we miss it because we're always looking out and beyond when in reality, God has put what we need right in front of us real quick before we move on to, you know, kind of this nugget of wisdom section, you know, everything's great, but it's always hard to start. And so what is just, you know, real briefly, what is step one that a pastor could do to kind of break this mentality of we don't have enough. We don't have the right people. Cause again, there's that fear, there's that risk. And a lot of church boards will look at you and say, Hey, we're all for something, but everything's got to line up. All these boxes got to be checked before we jump into this. How does a pastor begin to break that whether it's for them or their church? I think uh, starting to shift the culture, culture is different than vision. Culture is our behavior, the way we do things. And having those conversations with our board and key leaders is absolutely necessary. Getting them to go beyond visionary words that we put on a wall to actual daily, weekly, monthly behavior, which is really what makes up our culture. So you got to analyze our culture. What does it look like? Is it really who we want to be? And does it match the words we want to put on the wall? Well, if it doesn't, then let's have those conversations. You have those conversations with the key people. And sometimes I think pastors, we kind of like, we just want to shotgun it from the board table and we have problems from there. There are influencers and pillars in your church. Go have conversations with them. So when you bring up these things in the boardroom, those key influencers are already nodding their head yes, and everybody else is watching them. And if they nod their head yes, you're in. Mm -hmm. So have those key conversations about the culture. In having those conversations, you got to ask yourself, do their kids want to come to church? Do their grandkids want to come to church? And if that's a big no, that's a great way to have the doorway into a conversation Mm. of changing the culture. And that culture is healthy things grow, Mm. healthy things multiply. And if you can use that as the basis to start developing your culture, I think it's a win when you have those key conversations. Man, that's awesome. I love that. Because again, that's something tangible to put in someone's hand that says, hey, Go seek out these people and and in a sense, talk to them where they live, because all of us would be concerned that the church that we love and, and often these key people in your congregations have lived in and served in for decades 
would be a place where their kids could find Jesus, where their grandkids could find Jesus. And it might not be in its current form. There might be some unhealthiness and like, man, that's huge. Well, hey, uh, let's round out this discussion. This has been awesome so far. But now it's it's always one of my favorite questions to ask because everybody, every minister um, tends to develop their own philosophy, the unique way that God has said to them, here's something to live your life by. Here's what's going to define you as a person. And typically that mindset that you carry as, you know, Jared Strong in whatever role you find yourself in uh, is cool and has worked for like your, you know, contribution to the body of Christ. And so what would you say to a rural pastor? What's that nugget of wisdom that you could share that you would love to see, you know, a rural pastor develop or a rural church develop or something that's helped you do rural ministry? You know, I tend to ask myself a lot of questions and probably one of the key questions that's hard to ask, but I ask is if I leave, will I have left it better than I found it? And Mm -hmm. can I legitimately say I've left it better than I found it? And that means investing in people. It's not programs. It's people. And if you'll invest in people, you'll tend to leave it better than you found it. I I think we have to live and operate and lead to leave. We've got to leave it to the next generation or leave it to the next pastor or leave it to that congregant who you're raising up to be the next pastor, whatever it is, whatever the context. Um, And in addition to that, it's a servant mentality to say, it's okay if my name's not on the wall. It's okay that I'm not the head guy or any of those things. How do I serve so I can leave it better than I found it? I run a lot of things through that filter. And if I can keep doing that, I can look back at my church in South Dakota and our main campus pastor is now the lead pastor. Mm-hmm. And I can look back and we have conversations and I celebrate with him on a regular basis what God is doing after I left. Nice. Uh, I have conversations with team members at North Place and I can look back and go, wow, God is doing stuff even after I've left. And I can hopefully, whatever God moves me on to, I hope I'm in this seat for a long time because it's incredible to be able to look at it from a national level. I want to leave it better than I found it, but I got to serve in such a way that says, how do I hand this off right? Wow. And I think it just, uh, it speaks so well to what you mentioned earlier, because it's kind of a paradox, right? Like in one sense, rural takes longevity and commitment and frequently pastors do end up there for long periods of time. And yet simultaneously living each day as if I am, you know, replaceable and as if I am trying to, to truly, and, and I love even you gave several options. You're like, maybe you are, know you're there for a season and you're looking for the next pastor, like whether that comes from without or within, you really got to kind of prepare for that. And like, that is such a healthy mindset. Or maybe you are going to pastor that church for 20 years, but in that 20 years, how are we going to get it ready for the next generation to have that same right. move of God? And like, wow, there's just so many ways that you could go with that. And I think it would just be uh, so great, you know, for pastors to grab onto that mentality and that mindset. How do I leave this better than I found it? Because at that point, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you actually do stay there or if you do leave. You're working and you're building your church, the kingdom of God in that local place to outlast and to outlive just your influence, no matter what that looks like. And that's super encouraging. Well, Jared, uh, this has been a great conversation, man. And I really think there's a lot of nuggets of wisdom for a rural pastor or the rural church. Uh, before we get off today, I definitely want to uh, you know, highlight, obviously you're working uh, in a seat now that helps plant new churches in rural places. Am I clear on that? I mean, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what if there are pastors who are tuning in who would say, hey, I find myself in need of that kind of journey, or I really think that, that God's leading me to 
to either create that healthy culture and then eventually to multiply that healthy culture. Are there any things that you could offer on this podcast, a, a direction to point them towards that maybe could help them get a hold of those resources? Absolutely. I would encourage you, first step is to go to I want to plant a church.com. I love uh, that. Just remember, I want to plant a church.com. And if you'll hit, go through that process, start the process, my, myself and our team will reach out to you and connect with you and start getting you plugged into training and equipping and just kind of hear what God's put on your heart and help you fulfill that vision. And to celebrate something too, Joe, um, just over the past um, less than 12 months, God's done some incredible things. Uh, we've had 44 rural church planning projects come through our training. And out of those 44, 40 will have launched by the end of this coming year of this year. Wow. That's, so God is doing something rural. That's a great statistic. Oh my gosh. Yes. So 40 out of 44 are, are will be open by the end of 2022. That's something to celebrate. So huh. the, if you're called to a rural context and you want to plant a church, we can help you with it. Man, that's so exciting. I want to plant a church. Com. We will make sure to include that in the show notes of this episode. Um, Jared, once again, just want to say thanks, man. You are a great friend of mine. And obviously the the places that God's let you walk in, in collaboration with the rural church are really awesome. And I love hearing about what the Lord's doing in the rural church, not just in my context or even in my region, but across the country. And so, yeah, one more time, man. Thanks for jumping on with us. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, for all of our listeners, uh, thank you for turning into Rural Advancement. I have been Joe Epley, your host, and join us next week as we continue this conversation on rural mindsets. We are excited again to bring you content that not just speaks um, about your context, but is spoken by people from your context. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be encouraged, and we'll see you next week. 